everyone, and welcome back to the Whale Nurse Podcast. This is episode number 67. My name is Slater, and I'm here with Eric, Caitlin, Adam, Sarah, and Jeff. Hey, everyone. <laughs> What's up? Uh, hey. We got, we got uh, two special guests from the Pacific Northwest, and uh, they both live on San Juan Island. So we've been having a lot of topics that have been coming up about the regulations up there, so we wanted to have two of the smartest people we know up there on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, thanks so much for for joining us. We're really excited to hear from people up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, happy to join. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Happy to be here. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining. So, before we get launched into our, what I'm sure is going to be interesting discussion, um, I do want to just take a minute to talk about a couple events um, that we've been kind of putting out to people, just to remind you, registration is still open for all of these things. Uh, the ACS conference is virtual and it's coming up on January 30th. So by the time this episode comes out, it'll be just a few days away from the event. Um, I'm sure you'll still be able to register online um, and it is free. So definitely check that out. Um, and there may be a possibility of being able to access some of that content after the live event, but they don't have any details out on that yet. But I did ask about that for people that can't event, uh, attend that day including myself. So it was mostly selfish motivations as to ask about it, but you know, I'll share what I got with you. Um, and then Monterey Whale Fest actually is also virtual and they usually have a pretty good pool of speakers. It's a three night event. It's January 26th through the 29th. Um, and everything's on montereywharf.com, I believe. I'll share the link on our social media. Um, so you can check out any of the speakers you're interested for that. And then again, Whale Tales Conference is Valentine's Day weekend, and registration for that one is $60 for the pre-registration, uh, or like the early bird special, and all of the keynote talks will be available for 30 days after the event, and it's a really big list of speakers, which would be pretty cool. So more than just like Maui folks, I think would be interested in it, and um, yeah, so if you want to sign up for any of those, do it. I did it yesterday. I feel so accomplished. <laughs> it's so amazing how how fast all these events have turned virtual yeah you know yep yeah and some of them are are smaller versions than what they maybe were in person but some of them are bigger like whale tales is a way bigger event than it is normally in person which is really cool so it's yeah. much easier too to have a a unit like a worldwide audience you know yeah, for sure. Like Whale Tales, they have a guy coming from, speaking from Russia, which is exciting because you don't usually get to hear about their humpbacks over there. But like we're getting Russian humpbacks in Maui. So that'll be exciting to hear about. The one bummer is that you don't get to socialize like at all conferences. Like, yeah. Some of, some of us only see each other like during those events, which sucks. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, and the whale watching companies that usually have trips, yeah. you know, in the area are missing out on having all those people too. Yeah, yeah. Right. Whale Tales usually has like a whole week worth of trips, and they have like celebrity yeah. naturalists and photographers come out and stuff. And so, yeah, that's a tough one. But it's all right. We're adapting. We're trying to make it work. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Are we ready to launch into our Pacific Northwest? Yeah. Debacle. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about, <laughs> I want to hear about it's a good it. word. We, <laughs> we've been talking about these regulation changes, I mean, off and on the whole time since we've been doing the podcast, but I feel like our topics have really been ramping up lately. Um, but at first, I want to just hear about 
like what was it like trying to whale watch in 2020 like whale watching in the time of covid in washington like what happened (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was it was a pretty crazy year uh we lost the first half of our season completely because everybody was shut down everybody was under the stay-at-home orders so we didn't start running until uh just before july 4th uh, that was our our first uh, first tours, and uh, we we had a couple days before that that we just went out with the crew and did some live streaming. Um, but uh, started running July fourth. It was uh, running limited capacity, so fifty uh, percent of the passengers, and probably did about fifty uh, percent of the number of tours that we normally do because obviously there weren't as many people coming out out here so um i think the the i mean the sightings were great i think probably the biggest challenge that we actually had was the border uh closure with canada um because we i mean i would say a lot of our tours we we go back and forth across the border sometimes multiple times on uh on tours and it was crazy that even though we don't technically enter Canada because we never go into port, we never go to shore, and the Department of Homeland Security doesn't consider that we ever leave the United States because of that. But we were, but Canada had a hard closure. You could not, you literally could not take your boat over over the line, um, and and you know risk the fragile population of of Canada. Wow. with with being on a boat touching their water and so we we actually we had there were some trips that we had that we actually were looking through binoculars and seeing blows and just sitting there waiting waiting and there literally there were times where it's like okay we can see them they're coming this way and then they turned around and went the other way no yeah Uh, Yeah. that's killer well for you in the u.s waters and we're going out we're like prepping everybody and then we get there and they're like two miles they, they like turned right before we got there and went over the border no. we're like oh sorry guys and did they have border patrol really patrolling it i obviously oh, yeah. wouldn't push it anyways but they, they straight up had people on boats out there wow no we wouldn't push it at all but yeah wow that, okay that story with the binoculars reminds me of a time slater got a new video camera and he was like I can film all the way to Canada with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> that just made me think of that. We're watching whales in Canada, but we're in the U.S. <laughs> so you definitely were following whales right up to the border and like just saying bye to them, or did that happen a couple times? Oh yeah. Yeah. Aww. yeah but I mean, there, but there Canadian boats where... come into the U.S. So like. We uh, have to stop the border, but Canadian whale watch boats could come into U.S. waters and go back without an issue, as long as they didn't have any American citizens on board. Uh, there, were uh, there were Americans living in Canada, and they were on the boat, yeah. and the boat couldn't come to the U.S. and go back. That That's is, us. A, yeah. I was thinking wow. that, yeah, the Canadians could have picked up, you know, side tied to each other, picked up a, a U.S. citizen, but yeah, they caught on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys have like this shuttle service. You just yeah. the whale watchers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, this is this is our part of the tour. And <laughs> good luck in Canada. Just exactly. hand them off. Hand them off. <laughs> you gotta join them now, and then we'll pick you up back here on this side. Yeah. 
Oh, no. And so because you said you had, it was 50% capacity, but 50% of the trips you ran as well. Was it mainly because people couldn't come to the island because of like, or was it more of like the ferries were even shut down half half full as well? Uh, the ferries were a mess. Um, they were running their winter schedule. So there were fewer ferries and they were all, uh, I, I think if they were within an hour of being on time, they, we considered them on time. Oh wow! Every wow. ferry was at least an hour late. Oh uh, no! Yeah, no. Were they like checking temperatures also, and stuff or something, or was they were um, they were shorthanded with with uh, employees? Uh, they had a lot of people that that chose not not to come back to work. Um, yeah. And so um, there were people traveling, but it definitely wasn't the same volume that we would normally see. Uh, pre- well, yeah, you guys, you guys probably get quite a bit of international clientele being right there near Canada, but also I feel like the West Coast gets a pretty good set of international travelers. Sure. Definitely. Yeah, that was definitely missing this year. But normally we get people from all over the world, uh, Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Hey, Sarah, when I when I kind of came down around mid-October, was that the normal time most companies start, you know, shutting down then okay yeah usually in october they start to slow down but i mean a lot of companies shut down a lot earlier this a year. lot earlier okay i figured that yeah october's still a really good time to whale watch right the fall or oh yeah fall, some of our the, the best right i think yeah. yeah i think that uh it's actually because we used to tell people that come may through august or september and now it it's i think spring and fall are our favorite times uh, we get great sightings. Fall, we're we're now seeing humpbacks. I mean, we're still seeing them here now. Um, it, yeah, in, in late January, but fall uh, is an incredible time. Get a lot of big killer whale sightings, and uh, we will have some days where we get big aggregations of humpbacks. Whoa! Cool. Of course, we didn't see them this year because they aggregate in Canada, and we. <laughs> 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 oh my god. I was I actually I was lucky this year. There was one trip that I was able to do. It was one of our all-day tours and there was an aggregation of about 50 humpbacks on the US side of the border. Um Wow, so 50. We, we, yeah. That's a lot for the So, time. you know like Race Rock, oh, uh, Race Rocks, right? It's a sh- in the shade of Wanafuka. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. are you guys cuz you can go, I mean the border kind of goes out the middle of that, right? So you guys can stay along that and hopefully have whales on that side. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that's where I was. I was on the U.S. side and okay. wanted you go with with uh, the humpback aggregation. <laughs> yeah. So would you say all of 2020 there was quite a bit less boat traffic in general? You know, no cruise ships, less ferries, less just less boats in general. Well, not. <laughs> Less cruise ships, no cruise ships in Canada, like there was zero cruise activity. Um, But as far as private boaters go, like that was exponentially more. Like boat sales were so much higher, so many more private boaters around. It was incredible. Everyone bought an RV or a boat during quarantine that could could afford one. (laughs) So you guys weren't out nearly as often, but I remember seeing in the late spring a report that there was hardly any Southern resident sightings. Um, so I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on, especially with when it comes to the type of boat traffic shift and then still having 
dismal sightings of southern residents like were they were they around and we just weren't out to see them or do you think they just didn't come into the sound well they're they're coming in less and less every year yeah um but there's we're seeing kind of seeing them more in certain times of the year here like march and april we're seeing them more um and then you know september we had like a two-week stint in July. Usually they come in right around the 4th of July as well. And J-Pod spent about two weeks um, in July here. Um, but, you know, they, I, if they were here, we saw, we knew about them, at least if we didn't see them. Um, but, yeah, they're just, over the years, as the salmon have declined, they've just been spending less and less time here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. they've really become primarily coastal, coastal whales, especially K and L pods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. I I remember when I when I worked there in 2019 was like the first year they hadn't been seen in like the whole month of June. Was there any sightings in June this year? Same same sort of deal. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. think there was nothing in May, nothing in June. Gotcha. Yeah, that's when I saw the report was there was only like two or three sightings, not of all three pods in like March and April, nothing in June, and people were starting to get worried even though there was no whale watching. Yeah. Um, yeah. September was the first time we saw all three. Like it, we had a super pod in September. And it was, it was a legit super pod too, right? It was like all three. Yeah, on the fifth. Yep. Yep. Awesome. That's. I guess that's a good sign, right? Yeah. I mean, it, usually those happen historically in like April, <laughs> but no, yeah. that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Different time of year. What time of year did yeah, we I mean, uh, have the Southern Resident Killer Whale sightings in Monterey? Uh, it was March. 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 Was it March or okay. April? Okay. It was March 31st. 31st. I wonder if that's going to happen this year. Sitting in the dang airport in La Paz. Hi. Uh, <laughs> hey, La Paz is a nice place to be. I know. It was a good you, place I to be. I bet you start seeing them down there um, on, on a, a fairly regular mm. basis that time well, of year. Well, especially if the Klamath River Basin yeah. really does get restored and those runs pick up over the next 10 years or so. Definitely. Yeah, and I don't know what their projections are on the Klamath, like for the Elwha here, like they were saying, oh yeah, once that final dam comes down within 20 years, you'll have Chinook up there. But it was like within a year, there was Chinook up above the last dam site. So hopefully that's the wow. same for the Klamath. Yeah. I mean, I'd say once they've got like the water flow reestablished, I'd give it 10 years. It probably looks pretty good, but it depends on temperatures and food availability and, you know, it's not just the river so Sam, salmon yeah especially the the chinook are showing really good resilience even down here i don't know if you guys a few of you pay attention on me on social media um right here in busy silicon valley there's a, a creek called los gatos creeks they've been cleaning like mad you know just trying to restore it and I, I kid you not guys these like salmon are showing up next to like the google headquarters you know they're they're, they're going oh yeah they're, so they're they're, they're That's showing awesome. up in like the busiest places in the world, you know, and you yeah. know they're they're making a comeback, and I think they're they're pretty tough fish. So we're seeing signs even down here, you know, in a place you don't expect to see much salmon of them coming back. Yeah, it just That's, I it just speaks to like yeah. how much we we can do for them. Like if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. We just need to like give them that. Yeah, That's exactly. Start. Get her going. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, go ahead, Adam. I was going to say something? they're made to go upriver, but. <laughs> 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 well, hopefully we'll see some things, um, at least with the Klamath Basin change. 
if that means the whales have to shift their range, it's still not ideal, but more food is always a good option. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll do that. We're, I mean, we're already seeing how, how much they're shifting where, yeah. where they're going at different times of year. So they're, they're, if the food's there, they're going to find it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the new regulations. Are they in effect or is it still being hashed out? Um, they are, they go, some of them are in effect now and then they, they will be, uh, progressively going into effect over the next few months. Mm. Okay. So you can only watch killer whales during certain, t- Southern resident killer whales during certain times of day. Is that, that what's going on? Yeah. It's just for Southern residents and, um, it's, it, it's a very complicated system that they've set up. Um, and, and it's actually, <laughs> I think the most, the, the ones who are going to be harmed the most from this system are the Southern residents. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just a, a few months out of the year and a certain hours of the day that you can view Southern residents. And it, it's going to be interesting because the, I mean, we're seeing them so, so few times now and that I don't know, I really don't know how much it's going to impact us on um, you know, from our standpoint of, of what we see out there, I mean, we're seeing big killer whales way more than we're seeing Southern residents. And so, um, you know, I don't know that it's going to impact us as much as it's going to impact them. We're going to lose a lot of the data that, that we collect, uh, a lot of the presence data, the sightings data. And um, Sarah mentioned the huge increase in recreational boaters. Uh, one of the most important things that the Southern residents are going to lose is the ability of having somebody with them that can warn other boats to their presence. Mm-hmm. You know, we've mm-hmm. all been out on the water and we know if you're, if you're out there on a recreational boat and you're just going from point A to point B, not only are you not looking for whales, but they're really hard to see. And if you're not looking for them and you don't know what you're looking for, they're really hard mm-hmm. to see until you're right, right on top of them. And especially so, up there with the backgrounds and stuff. I mean, yeah. Well, and that, that's what, that's the advantage of a, you know, whale watch companies there, you know, and you have seven boats lined up or whatever. You have a, a multitude of boats lined up watching whales. That's kind of gives you a good indication like, Hey, there might be whales in the area. And even, you know, when I was there, like we would constantly just have to either hail vessels down or honk at them or try to even put yourself in between them and whales to really get them to stop. Cause if you don't do that, then they run straight through them and it's just so yeah. frustrating. Yeah, exactly. And that's defeating. That's, that's actually going against what the regulations are trying to do exactly so do the regulations only apply to whale watching or are they expecting to have this level of compliance with private boats as well they only apply to commercial whale watching boats so (laughs) so say i rented a boat for myself yeah i could watch the southern residents from the regulated distance whenever i want yeah correct it's only the professionals who have the experience and education <laughs> and know what they're doing that are, are limited here. Uh, okay. So next time, next time any of us go out with Sarah, we're not going to you anymore. We're not gonna, gonna, no, we're, we're just, not saying we're, that. we're just friends, right? Yeah. We're not passengers. We're friends. Well, but then yeah. what? It, so yeah. So that's my other question. If you go out without paying passengers on board, are you still de- deemed a, a commercial? whale watch because of your registered to your business or it's it's from my understanding of the way the the law is written it is um 
commercial whale watching is if you're paying, yes, you're a paying passenger. And so if, if you're out on a boat with that, where you're not a paid passenger and, and people aren't paying you to take them out to see Southern residents, you're, you're at, you're not commercial whale watching. Yep. So next time I go out with Sarah and Jeff, I'm just giving them a donation or I'm just helping out with gas. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. it, yeah, I mean, so, it's it, it really. I'm just gonna it, sell I mean, you a really expensive cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I know, two t-shirts. <laughs> it, it just shows how archaic this this uh, these rules are, and, and how there are so many blurry lines, and this just was rammed through and not very well thought of, and uh, it, it just there's very little about this that makes sense. Yeah, so it's just like the paper. In addition. In addition yeah. to the time frames, is there also an increased distance, or is that still the same from the previous changes? The distance is the same. Okay. So it's it, there's is no there change like in no distance. no viewing zones or something? I thought I saw something about like. Um, well, there's on the west side of San Juan Island. There's a um, uh, a no go zone, but that's something that we've been. Uh, voluntarily doing for I think probably about 15 years mm -hmm. um, it's a it's just it's a quarter mile offshore where right at lime um, kiln. yeah and half a mile at lime kiln a quarter mile on the west side um, and we've been doing that for I mean, way before I, I even got involved in, in this and so mm -hmm. that's something they just they they decided, oh, you know, since, since you're already doing that any, anyways, we'll, we'll add that. Why not add we'll that? We'll write it down. Agency. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then is there some sort of, um, like, permitting system or limitation on number of boats that can view the southern residents during those time frames? Or? There, yeah, there's a limit of three, three commercial vessels okay. during those times. And do you guys all know each other when you're commercial vessels? We do. We actually we we're a really tight um, tight group, but we have a, a really uh, collaborative association. There are um, just under 30 companies in the region, and the the companies that are part of the association we actually cover about 5,000 square miles. Uh, we go all the way down to South Puget Sound, and then all the way up to Nanaimo, and uh, so it, it, uh, there, there are companies that are in the association that we communicate with and coordinate with that we actually never even see on the water. Um, so it, there's, we're pretty, pretty, uh, pretty collaborative. So we are um, anticipating we'll be able to coordinate that, that limit. Okay. I mean, I, and I'll give you an example. I mean, the last two summers on the days where the Southern residents have been here, I think the average number of commercial vessels that have been with them um, both years, it's, it's been less than five. I think last year it was the average was two. So we're uh, we're already doing that. I mean, most of the time we're, we're out there, we're seeing big killer whales, we're seeing humpbacks and, mm -hmm. and not not even spending that much time with southern residents. Yeah. OK, so as a. As a business, oh, we lost Eric. What happened? <laughs> or we lost Jeff? No, yeah. <laughs> I'm still. I'm I was still like, somebody disappeared from my screen. Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, you're still there. Yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> you're good. Um, so, how much do you think these new regulations are going to affect your business? I mean, operationally, it sounds like not a lot. 
but are people like our customers concerned like oh i'm not going to be able to see southern residents i don't want to go whale watching anymore like have you heard anything well, like that i mean there's a lot like the southern residents are just mo- like so well known right like people yeah. think of the southern residents they think of free willy and that kind of thing and so they come up here and they want to see the whale that they've they adopted and and that and they have no clue that there's another thriving population yeah, of killer whales exactly. so um it really hasn't been you know you know it just hasn't been handled well on the regulation side to like show that there's another group of killer whales or to make it known that it's just applying to one specific so it's a lot of education like when we're people are calling and like well are is there any chance we'll see killer whales like yeah definitely but um you know people are very confused yeah i yeah. think i think it's uh sarah's right i think our our the biggest risk for us is uh the perception uh yeah. that people might have that they're not going to be able to see killer whales and part of that um i mean they did a terrible job of communicating what this was about but we also haven't done a a good enough job of educating the public beyond the people that come out with us of how vibrant and and how robust the population of Biggs killer whales are in this area and um, how I mean they're they're in this almost we're almost ten years into this prolific baby boom with an mm-hmm. incredibly high survival rate um, of calves and it's. I mean, I've been talking to people, and I, I think they're arguably uh, the fastest growing population of killer whales on Earth. Um, Gotta be. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're over like 600, over. right? Yeah, or close to it, like between 550 and 600, I'd say. And I, I think when I was there, it was 450 or something. That's, I think they're increasing like 3 to 4% a year. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, and the calf survival rate is, yeah. I think, in the last uh, eight or nine years, it's over 90%. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Better than humans. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. 90, well, 90 is really when, high. When you look at, you know, moms like Artemis or T65A, you know, and she has, I think, what, she has five kids now, and it's just like yeah. six kids. It's just pretty incredible. Well, and they eat so high in the food chain, having that calf survivorship is pretty impressive because the pollutant load is pretty high. Yeah. I mean, it just like really, really drives home the fact for us. And what we try to convey is that um, it's about food, right? They have enough to eat. And so they're thriving. They spend more time here in in these waters, have a higher toxin load or around boats more often. Um, and they're, they're doing so well because they have the food that they need. Yeah. So it really is just like the boat regulations are just kind of a, a insult to injury. Like it's, well, it's more than an insult, but it's like <laughs> you're spending all this time and money and energy on something that's not going to save the Southern resident killer whales because we're ignoring the fact that they don't have enough food to eat. Yeah. So that's, that's honestly what this whole thing just seems to be is just like yeah. a distraction from the actual issues at hand. Absolutely. And, and even, even, <laughs> It's frustrating because even when you use a distraction like like vessel, you know, noise or vessel effects on killer whales, you don't take the whole thing into proportion. You just take the part that you want to attack, right? So it's just taking the commercial whale watching. It's ignoring everything else. It's ignoring the the private boaters that literally run over pods of killer whales. It's ignoring the huge tankers that go through the area. It's just like so 
pinpointed to what they're trying to prove. It's at this point, like it just doesn't seem to be science to me or doesn't seem to be accurate or really credible. It's just absolutely. And in my opinion, like we're removing the people that know these whales that have known these whales for decades to tell you, you know, individual stories and life histories about these whales. And now we have, you know, government agencies that are out there the majority of the time with them. And we're now putting the control of the narrative of the Southern resident killer whales in those agencies. And I have no faith that they're going to do an accurate job in representing them. Definitely so, not. You know, we're going to lose the story of the Southern residents. No one's going to know about them. No one's going to care. And they're eventually going to, you know, go south. And if we don't continue to talk about them and, and, and keep those agencies accountable as best we can. Definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about some agency science. <laughs> um, so we discussed last episode at, at pretty good length um, our reactions to that paper that just came out from uh, NOAA and I think his Washington Fish and Wildlife um, with some assistance from Cascadia. But the data was all collected from like 2010 to 2014. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys read the paper as well. It was like. Uh, vessel disturbance and foraging behavior in southern residents. What do you yeah. what What do you think of that? <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> okay. I, uh, <laughs> Sit down. So I need I need I want to go through the paper again in in more detail. But my takeaway is that the data they use they it's pretty limited data that mm -hmm. they used. Yep. And um, one of the big big questions I have on it there's there's no control for this, right? There's no control right. group. So right. they're saying that females are diving less in the presence of, of vessels. They don't break down the types of vessels that they're talking about. Yep. And so when I say there's no control, could it also be that the females aren't diving as as deep when they're wearing a, a freaking tag on them? Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly what we all said. I literally, <laughs> that's what, I called so Caitlin and, uh. <laughs> Or That's, maybe, yeah. maybe the females don't dive as as deep after they've been chased around at close range by a speedboat that's prodding them with a pole trying to get a tag on them. And maybe mm -hmm. for the next 30 minutes to five hours, they don't they're not going to dive as deep. And, you yeah. know, they know that the tag is on them. They're not they're oh, very yeah. smart animals, like yeah. very tactile, very sensitive. Yeah. And I was there my first time up there with you guys. We were watching them chase around. Uh, I forget the the one who just lost her calf and they chased her around for like 40 minutes and they finally got a tag on her and it was like oh my god like the, pa the paper is really funny too because it says after five minutes of tag deployment <laughs> they went back to their regular cycles and you're like really you're gonna you gonna forget yeah. but then but then you're saying the cycles aren't regular because they're not diving as long <laughs> yeah and, and I don't know how they can like accurately describe what their cycles are beneath the water without having a tag on them so yeah you know. so my yeah, other question was one animal with a tag on it right yeah my other question was for the females there was no distinction of um like were they babysitting are they lactating because that also affects their dive times i mean you look at other cetaceans like sperm whales they babysit the kids at the surface while the other adults are foraging and they take turns so that they all have time to forage. So your females are your main babysitters and they're, so they're not always going to be doing those foraging dives when the rest of the group is. So like what, there was no data about that. Like was that killer whale in charge of a calf when you put the tag on them? 
because yeah. they may not be diving as far because they got to keep track of that little whale. And I think we all know, like we've been out with whales that have been foraging and how erratic they are and how long their dives can be and how they can come up half a mile or a mile away. Like it's much easier to apply a tag to a whale that's not doing deep dives, that's potentially babysitting or engaged in a different behavior. And then it's not like, to my knowledge, that they do a focal follow on that whale for the entire duration that the tag is on. Um, Maybe sometimes they do. I, I really don't know. Um, but you know, the whales can change behavior, you know, maybe they're foraging when they apply the tag, but maybe they just stop foraging. Yeah. This paper sounded like they did focal follows, not only of the tagged animal, but also all the vessels around them. But then they identified themselves as the research vessel as mimicking the behavior of whale watch vessels at the time, (laughs) which is when they were allowed to be closer how do you mimic a behavior when you're a hundred, three to two hundred and fifty or three hundred yards closer than everybody else is? Right. Yeah. So that was also kind of confusing about the caveats they put on their data collection. <laughs> yeah. It's also it's also old data. Some of this yeah. data yeah. is from before the regulations went to two hundred yards. Yeah. Some of this <laughs> from, data is eleven years residents. old. Yeah, and now we're and one of the things that we were talking about in the licensing process was, um, and and this paper is now obscuring this even further. The rules changed in 2019, um, moving it from 200 yards to 300 yards, and spe- sending uh, setting speed limits when you're within a half a mile, combined with the fact that we ha- we don't have that many boats viewing them when they are here. And we have zero research done on what's changed. What's changed for underwater sound since before the 200-yard distance was put in place? Mm-hmm. We don't even have data or studies that show what's happened since, since it went to 200, let alone 300, slow speeds, reduced number of vessels. Yeah, we, yeah. We just keep going back to the same science that was done in the early 2000s. And then mm-hmm. this data that some of it's 11 years old, and we keep saying, "Oh, we need to do something about vessels." Yeah, we keep yeah. looking at the same the same science that's some of it's coming up on 20 years old. Yeah, and yeah. a lot's changed in 20 years. Yeah, it's not your best available science anymore, which is but what the government it, is supposed to set regulations by. Right. That's exactly right. In the meantime, we haven't really done very much at all for salmon in in these 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And Release I keep, here. Yeah, so frustrating. Keep hearing from these agencies like, well, salmon recovery takes a long time. Yeah, I've been out here, you know, my whole life, 26 years with these whales, and that's what I've been hearing this whole 26 years. Like, mm-hmm. if we had done something back then, back where would we be there. now? You know, yep. stop okay. using that as an excuse not to start something. Yep. And, yep. and what I hear, and, and what I hear anecdotally, I think California is is way further ahead than Washington in, in salmon recovery. And isn't that a isn't statement that funny? in yeah. of itself? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, and, but that, that's why I say it would not surprise me to start seeing Southern residents showing up more, more often down in, in California. I mean, we know that's part of their range. Definitely. And we also know that they're spending a lot more time off the coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, another article that we talked about um, that was a lot of, of folks' reaction in the industry in the Pacific Northwest about the new regulations was talking a lot about 
um, you know, the sentinel actions of whale watch boats and the research that's coming off the whale watch boats. And so we kind of got into a discussion last episode about like, so how do you, how do you balance all of it? Right? Like there is some disturbance obviously from vessels. It's not, I don't think the leading cause by any means ever about issues with Southern residents, but you know, you have some level of disturbance, you're using fossil fuels, but you're also educating the public, inspiring your next generation of conservationists. You guys are the ones at the town halls, facilitating petitions, making people aware of the changes and regulations and the issues. You're also submitting research data for free for your trips, you know, giving them to the people that are doing work on these animals. So like, if you're trying to balance the sheet, like, I feel like whale watching is always going to come out as a positive activity in regards to these whales. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that. Yeah. And I think like we're looking to it, like we have a lot of newer boats on the water. Uh, the fleet has, has really kind of changed over the last five years, 10 years. Um, and they're more environmentally friendly. Like, of course, a boat is always going to have some impact. Right. Um, yeah. but you know, we did sound studies on the boats. Um, you know, there's boats that use water jets instead of, um, you know, your standard engine. Like it's just, there's just a lot that's happened, um, to the fleet that's made them more environmentally friendly. Um, and I think really the platform there, there's no better way to connect people to these whales and get them to care. And when you get people to care, they become advocates and, mm-hmm. and we just have more people involved in saving these whales. So, um, Yeah. Jeff has a different take, or maybe the same take, but greater. <laughs> no, it's, 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 uh, it's definitely a, a net positive for whales to have whale watching boats out there teaching the public about the whales, um, you know, showing the private boaters how to responsibly drive a boat around whales, letting them know where they are. And it's, it's not just recreational boaters. We call it on the radio, we hail the ferries, we hail the deep sea vessels, cruise ships, oil tankers, and let them know when you know, and they're the navy. so far away what's what's that and the what navy and the navy yeah i mean we're we have a you know navy testing ranges out here mm-hmm. that are active and there are times where the whales are going right into them we let the navy know and then the research it's incredible the research value um to provide the sightings of all all the different whales that we have here um you know the the researchers can't be out on the water nearly as often as, as we are. They don't have the mm-hmm. budgets. They don't have the time. Uh, great example from this summer with one of the uh, new J-Pod calves, J-57. Both, first of all, both calves were initially seen by whale watching boats. Mm-hmm. And without that, we don't know that we would even know that there are two new calves in J-Pod yet. Mm-hmm. And we know J-57 is a boy because Sarah got, Sarah got the shot. She got the belly <laughs> shot. She got it. <laughs> I think it was like perfect positioning of the boat by the captain. Oh, the captain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> Not to I bet you guys whore, stayed but... for uh, one more look too, huh? <laughs> one, one more one or two. and then we're going on. Yeah, one God. more surfing. Yes, the king, king of that. One, one, one more. One more look, guys. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love it. I mean, Jeff brings up a good point. Like, there's so much, you know, with the Southern residents and with the bigs, like, we see them so much that we do key in the researchers to come out. And sometimes, you know, if it's a a matriline or a pod that's been here a lot, 
they won't come out on the water because they already have the data they need for those whales. Um, and if it's a really rare group, we can tell them and then they can get ready and they can come out and get the data they need. Um, but, you know, we have so many experts that are working on these boats across the industry that are so familiar with these whales that we notice like when they're looking skinny or, you know, when someone's looking, looking big and potentially pregnant and, um, and we're able to relay that information to researchers. And, and if we're not there, I'm not sure how that's going to ever, you know, come, come to the researchers. I mean, aside from when they're out there and I hope that they're out there as much as they can be, but they just can't be out there as much as we have been. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always going to be true, right? Like ecotourism vessels are always going to cover the water more than a, a research agency just because they're at the, the constraints of grant funding, whereas mm -hmm. you're at the constraints of ticket sales. And so it's just a different economic dynamic. Um, but that, yeah, you know, just furthers, it further validates for me, like having a relationship with ecotourism, right? Like use them as an asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the researchers are are not happy about what's happening with the regu regulations. And and when I say the researchers, I'm talking about the researchers who spend their time on the water, who are in the field studying studying the whales. They're not happy. The researchers that are putting out, you know, they work in a cubicle in an office. They put out papers on old data. They almost never, if ever, go out on the water and really see what's going on. They're the ones that are driving this, but the researchers that are on the water, um, they're not happy about what's happening here with the regulations. Yeah. So during uh, 2020, when there wasn't as much commercial whale watching, but there was a lot of private boaters, was there still a pretty good enforcement presence on the water? Could you guys tell that at all? Like with Soundwatch out or DFW or anything? They, they were out um, with such an exponential increase in private boaters. Uh, you know, they were out, but there's so much area they can't cover and the whales can be spread over miles and miles. So I think mm -hmm. honestly, like this past summer, I spent more time than ever before flagging down boats, contacting boaters and acting as like not enforcement, but acting as, you know, kind of like a sound watch in a sound watch type role, um, you know, trying to get them to be aware of whales in the area and, and what the regulations are. So I would say, and Jeff, maybe um, can agree or, or disagree with this, but I spent way more time at at least double, triple what I've ever done before. No question. Uh, yeah, we, we bought, um, we, we fly whale, whale flags up here uh, when we're in the presence of whales. And for boaters that know what's going on, they, they recognize what that means, but that's the small mi minority of boaters. Mm -hmm. We actually bought an extra flag so that uh, Sarah and, and other crew can get on the bow and start waving the flag. Waving I jumped up on the roof a couple times <laughs> this summer to wave yeah, the flag. Awesome. Yeah. Right before you so, jumped on that humpback? <laughs> we spent spent a lot of time uh and and it's kind of neat that passengers get educated about this because they see it in action uh we spent a lot of time communicating with other vessels to get them to slow down and and realize that there were whales in the area and there was enforcement on the water Soundwatch was out there as well but there are so many different areas we go to with with multiple groups of, of whales and all of the enforcement agencies are so underfunded and mm -hmm. for for like the department of fish and wildlife 
enforcing whale watching regulations is just one small part of what they do. So right. it's not like they're right. even out there every day doing this. So right. it's we really are the the last line of defense in a lot of ways for for the whales. And and it was it was crazy this summer how often uh, we were we were doing that, especially in high traffic areas. Well, and a so, lot of them too are like funded. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was you just go. gonna say a lot of them are funded and like their day ends at five. It's like a nine to five job out there being you know in on enforcement. And you guys know like in so June, late June and July here, late till ten. <laughs> like so, there's a significant portion of the day that there's no enforcement out there. Yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I want to go back to the whale watch flags. Um, is that something that's from the Whale Watch Association? Like all of you that are members are doing that, or is it on individual companies to decide? Um, all of the all of the companies that are in the association uh, fly the flag. It was developed by San Juan County, uh, and then there's there's a, an organization in uh, off of Northern Vancouver Island that started these flags, I don't know how many years ago, but uh, San Juan County used the same design so that people that might be familiar with how things work up, up in North Island, when they come down here, they see the same same thing. And it's, it's kind of like a diver down flag, basically mm-hmm. the same kind of intent with, with that. But yeah, every, every company that's in the, the uh, Pacific Whale Watch Association uh, flies that. That's super cool. I think we've kind of talked about that idea um, when we've had whale watch regulation meetings with, with like Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, that was an idea that got floated down in California too. Um, and I think even like some of the be whale wise campaigns had floated it as an idea too, through the government. So that's super cool that you guys do that. It's really effective, especially over time as people learn what it means. And there are some private voters that, uh, you know, they, they like to go out and see whales and they purchase flags and, and they'll fly them. Cool. So those are people that like, you know, work with you on the radio if, if they're out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Um, I feel like I had another question, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> It'll come That's back to my me. life. <laughs> um, so what what is what does it look like for you guys this year? Like moving yeah. forward, um, like what's next? Just keep watching humpbacks and big killer whales and and go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited to see uh, to get out there and see how many new uh, big killer whale babies we were born over the winter and see some of the uh, more recent calves uh, as they as they get older. And uh, it's always. Ex- one of the most exciting things that's been happening here in the last few years is seeing the, the, our regular humpbacks coming back and been getting lots of calves the last few years. So seeing the calves as well, um, that's, uh, I mean, every year we're getting more and more, they're, they're bringing their friends too. And so it's, uh, I'm excited for that this year. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm over winter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a year ago today, we were in uh, Bremer Bay, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> oh. What a time. <laughs> I would like to see a minky whale breach this season. It happens. I've never seen one breach, so. Yeah, oh, it happens. 
I had one do it like 30 times one day. Yeah, whatever. Wow. <laughs> it, no, it, and, and actually two times I've had this happen. This The second time, um, there was more than like seven minky whales breaching, all in different areas. I, and I had I have a video. It's like shaky, weird cell phone video, I think. But they were just like – and, and you could see that they're different minky whales because like some had different parasites and stuff on their stomach or like those copepods, I think they're called. But yeah, yeah so yeah. – yeah. So uh, yeah, off Newport, I did. I've see only, yeah, I've only seen it off of uh, yeah Southern California, um, both off of Long Beach and Dana Point. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't see it. Uh, one place that I was surprised how many minkies there were was over in uh, Quebec, over in Saint Lawrence River. Oh man, there they behave differently there too. They like pop up right under your boat, whereas oh, wow. our our California minkies are like, oh, stay away from boats, or it'll just Dude, like pop this, up and then disappear. This year in Santa Barbara, the minky whales were, like, on another level. Every single time we saw one, they would just, like, beeline it straight for our boat. They would, like, bow ride. <laughs> they'd, they'd just hang out right next to the boat. And it's just been, like, like this is normally, like, the most elusive animal on the yeah. planet. Like, you, you know, the, the one spot minky. But this year, I don't know. They're, and all up and down the coast, they were really friendly. It was kind of weird. Yeah, but I've had friends cool. awesome. too. Well, Jeff and I were on a trip earlier this year, and... I was driving and he was naturalizing and we were with a humpback whale and I like kept seeing out of the corner of my eye this like huge splash and I'd look through binoculars and I could never see what it was and it happened like for 20 minutes and then we finally left and we're headed off to see some killer whales and a boat called and they're like oh yeah we got eyes on it it's a breaching minky. You're like, oh. <laughs> I wanna I wanna know about that um that encounter you had with the the bigs chasing the minky how was that that was oh, crazy God. that was one of the craziest things i think i have ever seen anywhere right uh, i think it i think it went around somewhere around 12 to 14 miles yeah that they wow. chased. <laughs> and it was it was two females that were in the lead two moms it was uh 65b and chunk uh, t19 and t19 ah and they i don't even remember how fast they were going but it was the 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 two moms were in the lead and when when i got there they were probably about a quarter mile to a half a mile behind and the minky was just porpoising wow <laughs> and they were catching up and catching up and at one point i think they were just a few hundred yards <laughs> behind it and what we think happened was so the minky led them to uh to this bank where they're it's kind of our go-to spot to find minkies yep and we think the minky went went to uh went to hind bank and did like a deep dive and the killer whales latched on to another minky Oh. It, you know, it's like it's kind of like run, like you're being chased, and then you like run go to the crowd. behind a door, and they and so, the people start chasing your friend instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you don't have to um, outrun the bear; you just have to outrun your friend. Your friend. Exactly, right. exactly. Right. And, and because I, the reason we think this is what happened was like once they got there, the minkies started putting more distance on on the the killer whales. Yeah. It was like it was like a fresh minky. And, uh, <laughs> it's like a relay race yeah yeah and it was uh kids had all from the two families had all given up they were all socializing <laughs> it was like they were socializing waiting for dinner 
And then at some point, the moms gave up. We couldn't. We and what happened is we didn't see the moms anymore. We couldn't find them, and we're like, you know what? Let's just go back and watch, watch the party. The kids are all socializing. We went back there, and they all surfaced at one point. And the moms were in there, and we we're like, wait, what, how, what happened? Where's where's wow. the minky? That's pretty cool. That's pretty special. Sarah, were you with me or well, were you on the other boat? I was on the other boat. So we got there like right as they, like not right as they picked it up, but we were there pretty close to the Canadian border and took them all the way to the south end of Lopez. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a run. It was. <laughs> it was amazing to see the, uh, first of all, the speed of the minky was, was incredible to see. And it was incredible to see just the determination and how long these orcas were porpoising at high speed for such a long time and distance. How much energy went into energy, that? Man. It's yeah, impressive. I think there was one one time like T sixty five B like took a little breather, and I don't think I've ever heard an orca whale pant before. <laughs> close to it, she came like past the bow and then took off again. But she was yeah breathing hard. Yeah, I, she's like, that you might give me a ride. <laughs> yeah, I was wiped out from just watching it. Yeah. Have you guys actually have you guys actually seen the transients actually get you know actually finish off a minky like we watched you know the the transients get the gray whales over here. Um, I've seen after they got one, and we, oh, okay. I think I think it was a minky whale. Jeff, maybe someone said it might have been a small humpback, but I think it was a minky whale. Okay. Um, but I've never seen them actually like in the process of like killing one. Okay. Um, yeah. But they were they were eating it all day. Was that a, yeah. just a couple of years ago? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I, I think I heard about that when I was up there. I remember hearing about that on the radio one day when I was up there. So well, yeah, I mean, they must obviously be successful sometimes to be willing to chase it for 10 plus miles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I figure, you know, I thought it would happen more often. Like, you know, you always see us over here in Monterey with the shots of, you know, RTs and the uh, yeah. little calves. So I thought it, you know, it's a pretty surprise, especially with the number of T's growing for you guys. It might be a common sight soon. Yeah. My, my, my guess is that they have such easy prey with exactly. so many harbor seals. Harbor seals. <laughs> That well, it's, it's chicken nuggets. like, hey, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like they've got such easy prey here that I think it's it's rare. But once in a while, they're like, hey, let's let's go after something. Yeah, something <laughs> challenging. Yeah. Let's do it. I, th- I think <laughs> on my on my last holiday trip I did with you guys, I'm pretty sure that we went and saw them chasing a elephant seal, but then they ended up not doing. It. They didn't ended up not pursuing it. Oh, I think it was a stellar, wasn't it? Oh, I'm sorry, a stellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if they can take on stellar sea lions, I think they can take on a minky whale. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. At so least no, we we saw like back. <laughs> we had a pretty epic stellar like chase hunt earlier this year in May, what was it early May, Jeff, with the T123s in San Juan Channel, and the sea lion was branded oh, so yeah. we could figure out who it was. Oh no. <laughs> and, we he got away like it was an hour and a half of them like pounding this sea lion like head butting him and tail slapping him and finally got to shore and we sent the brand to Oregon Fish and Wildlife and they're like oh yeah he's like 17 years old <laughs> like longest track stellar on the coast and we thought for wow. sure like he was gonna bite it from the yeah it's sexy and he showed epic. up a month ago oh yeah. wow yeah. 
Yeah, that was sucked. Your project got eaten. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was probably a repeat offender with the brand on it. Still one right. of those Oregon Oregon sea lions. He's probably one of the Bonneville Dam sea lions. <laughs> oh uh, my goodness, that's crazy. Okay, I remembered my question finally. Please. <laughs> um, to your knowledge, which is okay if you don't if you don't know this off the top of your head, um, has there been significant fishing regulation changes in regards to salmon commercially or recreationally that match the significant changes you've had to make as whale watch business? No. To my knowledge. <laughs> yeah, to my knowledge, no. I know, you know I, I know there are limits on, on how many uh, salmon you can keep uh, if you're a sport fisherman uh, and seasons have gotten shorter. And I, I believe they, they, it's a decline in catch for commercial fishermen, but they're still out, you know, they're still fishing. There's no, nothing that's matched where, like, you can't fish for this, like, like there is where you can't view these whales. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. it's probably subjective. Like, if you asked fishermen, they'd say, absolutely. Like, we've had way more than the whale watchers, but, yeah. Because my other... Um... The other concept that we went back and forth a lot in Monterey when we were talking about whale watch regulations and anchovy fishing, like forage fish fishing, um, was the economic benefit of both industries, right? So like commercial fishing, oftentimes it's a minimal number of jobs to process the fish and then that product actually leaves the United States and doesn't feed into the local economy to any great extent. But whale watching is not only supplying those businesses with income and providing jobs there, it's the restaurants, it's the hotels, it's the parking lot fees that the city's collecting. And so economically, whale watching actually holds more weight now than fishing does. And that's not how Monterey was built. So it's kind of like old habits die hard. But I don't know if that's something that you guys have as a topic of conversation between the industries. Like, I hate to go head to head with them. But like, at some point, we've all got to make a sacrifice that seems fair if we're going to solve this problem. Well, and I think the big missed opportunity in all of this is we all want more fish. Yeah, and so exactly. I, I think that that what's happened to up until now, and it's unfortunate, is that we get pitted against each other. And so we're we're pointing fingers and fighting with each other. And we all want the same things. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're both both industries, both groups, both communities are being limited by government and what both communities want. We don't want to be limited. We want more of, we want more fish. Mm -hmm. We want more spawning habitat. We want more forage fish and we would be a lot more, more powerful and more effective working together uh, up and down the, and not, not also not in these different regions because we're dealing with the same mm-hmm. whales. We're dealing with the same fish. This should be yeah. the sport fishing, the commercial fishing and whale watching from California all the way to Alaska working together in Absolutely. one group. And, yeah. and at that point, yep. then, then we've got a powerful lobby that we can start getting stuff done that is going to benefit everybody, especially the whales. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so true. Like there's 
you know, people that fishing to them means the world, like it means to them what whale watching means to us and what does whale mean to us. And ideally, Mm -hmm. like we want them to have enough fish to be able to take their kids and their grandkids out fishing and to pass on this tradition, whether it's commercial or recreational or what have you. But uh, we don't have that now. And I think the government, you know, benefits from us fighting each other instead of uniting. Instead of fighting them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're weaker if we're fighting each other and trying to fight them than if we're united to fight them. But we want those fishermen to have the fish to make and have whales have enough too. Yeah, I, have a, I think I that's have a, a really good way to look at it. I just um, don't know how to make that happen. But yeah. if, if we could get <laughs> a united front and, and, and bring the communities together, it would be really powerful. I just don't know exactly how to how to do that. It's a pretty <laughs> radical thought you have there, Jeff. I will tell yeah, you. exactly. <laughs> this is big brain. Um, <laughs> so, so when when you guys when you guys look back uh, over the past couple of years and, and you think about the the resis, are you are you seeing a change? Like I remember a few years ago, just you know, with the passing of like Princess Angeline and, and Scoter, and even before that, um, a couple individuals as well. You know. It seems like obviously the the older whales are might be you know their time to go, but it seems like there is has been a couple new calves recently, which is always promising. So, so when you guys look towards the future, you know even with these these papers being written, even with these regulations being put in place, like like where where do you see hope? Where do you see promise? I think in every new calf we see, you know promise and hope we it it sounds so jaded and i you know like i hate it i've been out here with these whales so 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 long um you know that i try not to like get my hopes up but i'm always gonna be working for them like as long as there's one of them left i'm gonna be out here doing everything i can but yeah i you know you it's like anticipatory grief you don't want to get your hopes up but you can't help it right every new calf is just like awesome and and we love them and want them to thrive. So I think in every new calf and, and every whale that lives, you know, beyond the first couple of years or females that live past 40, like it's all, um, I'm hopeful. Sure. That's what I try to focus on at least. I want to be optimistic. Um, one of the interesting things that I think we're seeing is as as some of the older whales uh, die um, and and we're getting younger whales, we're seeing their their behaviors change and their their travel patterns and where they go and at what times in the year and <laughs> okay, we're having just so people know what's going on. We're having a weird. What? technical thing we had like a bot or something join the call sorry jeff <laughs> i kicked jeff out did he join back yeah yeah he's back <laughs> jeff you there he's muted jeff you're muted <laughs> what is who did the, the picture thing everything's going no crazy. it says it says a bot joined the chat i don't know what happened i don't see that i'm scared though all right jeff you there i'm gonna try and kick him out of there i'm here why are we all in this like um, amphitheater? I, I, I thought it was you, Slater. No, I'm, I'm just I was just looking at uh, the humpback whale Nike on Happy Whale, and I was trying to see where it goes. That's uh, cre- creepy. I, I don't know. I can see 
I don't know how we got that a bot. Really funny. Him, but I'll see if I can kick him out. Sorry, Jeff. I just like I thought it was uh, because I, I added a, another Jeff Friedman. I thought maybe I added the wrong one. And he just joined up, so I kicked it. <laughs> I didn't realize it was you. <laughs> when I was trying to add That's you, really, I added another guy. <laughs> well, I'm sorry if That's we have really like funny. some weird hacker talking about whales with us now. But um, anyways, Jeff, continue finishing your thought. Sorry. <laughs> So they're they're spending you know different amounts of time in different places. Their travel patterns have changed a lot, especially since uh, J two uh, passed away mm-hmm. uh, three or four years ago. And people ask us all the time when we talk about Southern residents, like what you know, why don't they change what they eat? Why 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 won't they adapt? And we're seeing them adapting. They're go they're spending more time off the coast. They're spending less time here. They're going to where food is. Hopefully they may be even expanding and eating some some different fish at different times of the year, and so I'm kind of optimistic as as we see the kind of the changing of the guard that they're they're creating new patterns and doing new things and they are adapting, and in they're adapting in their way and they're really smart animals and uh, I think uh, I it just it that makes me optimistic for, for them. They spend a lot of time. Um... What's it called? Uh, the west of the Strait of Juan de Fuca, like right where the Swift, opening sure. is. Swift, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they Swift spend a lot of time there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where you right. want to go, right, Jeff? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that'd be sweet to go out there. <laughs> One of the no-go zones. Oh, yeah, it is. Just for the but southern you, residents, though, right? But you can, uh, you can see no, it's a no-go crazy zone. amounts of humpbacks out there, and they get northern residents down there, too. Oh, oh cool. Wow. <sighs> Hearing G Clan on the hydrophones out there quite a bit more. Oh, cool. Goals. Goals. <laughs> Why is it a no go zone? They say it's one of those. I mean, and it, Swiftshire Bank, like, has a lot of potential to be one of those good foraging zones. But I, from what I hear, at least, and this is just what I hear, the area that they have of it that is the no go zone. Uh, is actually not where the whales spend their time when they're out there. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Is there a bunch of is there a bunch of rich uh, rich houses out there? Oh no, it's like out in the middle. You can't see it. Okay. Yeah. No, but what what is out there? They're um they're shipping, lanes. shipping lanes and gotcha. um and uh, military Fishing. navy test sites. Gotcha. Um, bombing bombing ranges. Yeah. Oh, good. It's yeah. a good place to have southern resident killer whales hang out. And you said the and, northern residents come down there? They do. Yeah. But they just don't come up the strait, huh? Or in. And the, the Navy got approved this just recently to, they can do, um, you know, they can have more takes on southern residents now than they were able to previously. Um, okay, with, make that make naval, sense. Naval exercise. Right. As long as, I guess as long as they're not watching them, right? As long as they're not whale And they're looking. Yeah, you can't look at them. You can harass them under the MMPA more than you did before, but better not look at them. Right. Don't post pictures on social media of Southern residents. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's going to be a new thing. Enforcing this is going to be so hard. You know, there are going to be people be like, I wasn't looking. I was looking looking dead ahead, you know. People are going to say stuff like that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't think the enforcement people are the the people who are actually on the water doing enforcement. I don't think this is uh, something they're looking forward to either. I mean, it's just this is, you just made their their lives a lot more difficult a lot. and confusing. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, and the reporting requirements are just insane. It's like the reporting requirements and like the fine details of like what whales you can be with and what whales you can't be with are just like you can't even really enforce that because you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, how good are the enforcement people at identifying the different ecotypes of killer whales? <laughs> They're not. How oh. many times have they called <laughs> yeah, you in it? Called you in and been like, "Oh, we got some big killer whales," and they end up being southern residents or vice versa. Does that oh. ever happen? Yeah. What a well, crazy world, man! What a crazy. I'm world. sorry yeah, for all the does, complications that... coming your way. That does happen. Um, uh, this a couple of years ago, I was coming out of Snug Harbor, and uh, Soundwatch was coming back in, and they this was this was my first. This was probably 2015, I think. And uh, Soundwatch uh, came up to my boat and said, "Hey, just to let you know, Lpod's right around the corner, and they've they've got a new calf. And so we just you know we wanted to let you know, just you know, go on in slowly and." keep your distance we get around the corner and we're we're from a distance we're, we see uh, i don't know five or six whales and we're watching them and then one of them launches out of the out of the water with a seal in its mouth like, <laughs> um, that is not elpine <laughs> wow that's awesome well there you go <laughs> yeah see the complications you guys have to deal with on a daily basis but well and like complicated all around right like for no oh, reason yeah <laughs> so i mean i'd like to think that these people have their heart in the right place right like they're trying to protect a very fragile population of whales it's just the the practical side of it doesn't come through as effective um I mean, I'd, I'd like to believe that, but I think being in the inner trenches of it, we know that that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot yeah. of self-interest out there. Yeah. I think for some of these, like, NGOs that have been advising, <laughs> um, <laughs> quote-unquote advising, um, they're really in it to hurt us more than to help the whales. That's just their goal. That's so, that's too bad. It just seems so ass backwards. Like what, how, why is this the way that it is? Money. Yeah, there, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, not in my backyard. Uh, yeah. Approach mm -hmm. to this. I think there's some NGOs that, you know, they're, they're, they're anti-whale watching here, but then, you know, they go out on vacation and they, they're all into <laughs> ecotourism activity. Exactly. Yeah. They, just, they, they just don't want it. They just don't want to see it where they live. Yeah. <sighs> oh my goodness. Um, well, I think that pretty much covers all of the questions we'd been kicking around in previous episodes. I'm really glad we were able to hear from you guys yeah. who are out there and you're experiencing it firsthand because we can talk about it all day long, but we <laughs> haven't been up there. So, um, I really appreciate you guys sharing your, your knowledge and your experience over the last uh, year especially but you know with all of your time that you've spent up there yeah anytime yeah anytime and and would love to have you guys up here this year yeah that'd i'd be... love to go up there this year i i really want to make it known that people can still go whale watching with maya's legacy 
and still go to San Juan Island and still see big killer whales, humpback whales, minke whales, stellar sea lions, harbor seals, and all the beautiful nature and um, backdrops that you guys have there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I think that's going to be the the new motive is really to push that you can still go whale watching there because I really think it gets twisted when they just say southern resident killer whales. I don't think people have any clue that there's two different types of eco or ecotypes up there. And so I, re- I really want to try to push that this year, too, as well, to let people know they can go whale watching up there. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so if you made it this far in the episode, uh, thank you for listening to our, um, I think it was a really good discussion. And oh, I always want to end. <laughs> Adam's hyped. In all honesty, like, we, we talked about this paper last episode. And we were all so frustrated just, you know, simply glancing through it. But I think, you know, the knowledge that you guys have and the experience you guys have in the region really solidified what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And it, it is frustrating and it is uh, unbelievable, to be honest. But I think that you guys do give us hope. And, you know, you guys are still out there. You're still fighting the fight. And, you know, you're still trying to take people whale watching, obviously, in this crazy world with COVID and all these regulations and everything. But that's not gonna stop you guys and it sure as hell is not gonna stop us so yeah and uh i always want to wrap up saying thank you to all our listeners especially our patreon supporters um and anybody that follows us on social media and we'll um we'll we'll tag you guys again on instagram so if you guys are interested in maya's legacy um we'll we'll add them at some point to our episode announcement so you can check them out and yeah thanks so much Thanks, Thanks, guys. guys. Thank Thank you.